don't worry about it. Like I said, unless Marlene is talking and the dog barks, uh, uh, we can not edit, a problem. edit that out. Sorry, it, oh, God. Yeah. Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. Well, Marlene, this week we talked with Maya Markovich and Yusuf Kasim about their amazing work at the Justice Technology Association, or JTA. JTA seeks to grow, shape, and organize what they call the emerging justice tech market. JTA's mission is to demonstrate how technology can provide affordable, accessible solutions to people facing everyday legal issues. This also includes ways to leverage the justice tech to help with the large number of cases that people take to courts without the assistance of a lawyer. So we're super excited to have Maya and Yusuf on, and we have some others from JTA lined up for future episodes as well. And they're just doing some outstanding things with that association. But first up, we have the very last of our recordings from this year's Legal Week and our crystal ball question. We've saved one of our favorites for last and talked with Steve Emery from the Tech Law Crossroads blog and his vision of what the law firm workplace looks like in the next few years. Well, I'm uh, Steve Embry, and I uh, write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, that you guys are familiar with. Good blog. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also chair-elect of the ABA Law Practice Division this year. Uh, and we just finished uh, doing tech show in Chicago and then uh, starting the process to get ready for next year's show. Uh, <laughs> it never ends. Never busy, ends. Busy, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, so now I'm doing show one this week and show two next <laughs> Show one last week, show two this week, and then I'll go home and collapse for a while. Start, start working on <laughs> so, show yeah, three. Because I'm yeah. out of shape going to shows. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah it, it does take a lot out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you see on the horizon for us? Well, um, Good question. Uh, I just did an article, I guess, last week, a uh, week before, about the three-day work week. There was a nice article in the Atlantic magazine. Uh, I'm, li- about, I'm liking where this is going. Mm-hmm. Not uh, well, and it wasn't. Of course, the Atlantic article was not about law, but it was about generally. And the phenomena seems to be that people really want to work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in an office, and then the rest of the time at home, and that's going to become sort of a norm. And the other thing that a lot of employers pointed out are, are recognizing is that, you know, the, the law office of the future or the office of the future needs to be an experience or a destination. In other words, you know, you, you have to give people a reason to want to come to the office, whether it's a gym or a nice place to eat or a lot of the things like Spa. The, Spa. <laughs> Spa, yeah. A lot of the things that technology companies like Google and Apple recognize years and years ago. Right. Is that, is that coming from the, the companies and the law firms, or is that coming from the real estate uh, Well, people? it's a good question. Uh, certainly, well, the, you know, it was always thought that the law firms would, would reduce real estate. Right. Because they don't need it. Now, it's starting to... to to stay sort of an equilibrium. In other words, they don't need as many offices, but they have to have a space for their spa Mm -hmm. (laughs) or their gym. And so they're going to end up, you know, renting the same amount of space, which, you know, for a lot of businesses and law firms is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. because they've got, they're tied into long-term leases. So, you know, if you're tied in, let's say you did a, you know, two years ago, you did a five-year long-term lease or 10-year long-term lease. So now you got two years, nobody comes to the Now what do you, you can't get out of it, you know, and, you know, the landlord's not going to let you out of it because they need to fill the space. So 
you know, it's a way, it's kind of a little bit of a win-win. You can use the office for other things. Yeah, in a way uh, that makes sense for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think, you know, uh, as, I, as I wrote in the article, you know, it's, are we going to see that for law firms? I mean, like law firms are not necessarily big and, uh, you know, cool things to be in the office. <laughs> but they, I don't think they've ever faced the 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 competition for talent that yeah. they're facing That's now. What I mean, I it is say. A, it's mm-hmm. extreme. Um, and you know, this morning at the uh, state of the legal market, you know, there was a discussion about the great huge percentage of lateral movement that yeah. been the past couple of years, and it was. I mean, it was strikingly high. I mean, I sort of sensed it was high, but now it's strikingly high. So there's a lot of competition for talent, and you know, they're going to, by necessity, are going to have to offer something. But you know, as I as I talked about it in, in the post that I did, you know, the, the big uh, the big deal for law firms, and I think we may have talked about this on on one of your shows. It's always been, well, we have to have our associates come in so we can train them. <laughs> And they have to experience our culture, right. you know, and so, but, you know, a lot, a lot of times the training was, well, you know, maybe you'll get assigned to partner A, who's a really great mentor and does really well, or you might get assigned to partner B, who's just a real jerk and, you know, it's not going to give you the time of day. In my career as an associate, I got a little of both, you know, so I actually, so that's the training program in a lot of places. And then the culture, there's a great quote from, Somebody from a UK firm is culture. You mean you mean like working long hours, you know, being subjected to a bureaucracy, you know, being screamed at, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. <laughs> I think it's time we got rid of that firm culture. <laughs> this is better anyway. Right. So, right. So yeah, that makes sense. I think that's you know kind of what I've been sort of interested in watching is this kind of development and where it's and how be. we work and how we work. Yep. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, it has huge repercussions because. Um, for cities, you know, for downtown businesses. It's, you know, in, at a tech show last week, I kind of wandered around Chicago and boy, the streets were pretty deserted, uh, even Michigan Avenue. Now, it seems to be more people out and about here, but uh, a lot of businesses have folded up and, you know, small businesses, grocery stores, drug stores, you know, shoe repair shops, mm-hmm. restaurants. So not having lots of workers downtown is a big Seamstresses. 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 Tailors. Tailors. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just wonder too, um, you know, some of these plans we were hearing about, like for smart cities and things, if you're not seeing all people downtown, I mean, how, how what kind of impact is that yeah. going to have? You know, well, and, and in big cities like New York, you've got a lot of people that still live here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in Louisville, for example, where I live, we don't have a lot of people living downtown. And yeah, so I mean, now, in some big cities, it's like you come in for work and then you leave. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I don't know. It's going to be a different world that we come out of this in. Yeah. We'll see. So, oh, it could all go back to normal. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know some people that want it to go back to normal. Yes. So, All right. Well, thanks, Steve. All righty. Thank you. Yeah, it's always good to see you. We are very excited to bring back Maya Markovich to the show this week and for her to be joined by Yusuf Kasim to talk about their work at the Justice Technology Association. They teach us what Justice Tech is all about and how JTA is leveraging it to help improve access to justice. We'd like to welcome Yusuf Kasim, CEO of EasyExpansions.com, and welcome back. Maya Markovich is the Executive Director at Justice Technology Association. Uh, welcome you both to the Geek and Review. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. 
Yeah, thank you, Greg. We're really excited to be here today. So Maya, we've had you on the show before, but you've left Next Law Labs with Denton's last year, and you've been really busy with advising some new entrants into the legal tech community. How are you enjoying that role? Uh, yes, I've been. I have been very much enjoying uh, going where the action is uh, in legal industry innovation. So, I'm working with ALSPs, investors, law firms, and legal departments on supercharging their transformation efforts. And I'm also advising a few legal tech and justice tech companies, uh, mainly on strategy and growth. I mean, I, I love. I really love working with founders. So that's been awesome. Um, I'm also justice tech executive in residence at Village Capital. Uh, where we're helping to build and mobilize informed capital into the nascent justice tech vertical. And there's obviously quite a bit of um, overlap there with JTA, our new nonprofit trade association. What's the, what's the focus of the capital group? Uh, Village Capital has been working with AmFam uh, for a few years on uh, defining, uh, measuring, and supercharging informed investment into the justice tech space. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Yusuf, uh, before we begin, uh, I, have a, I have a story to say about how small this world is. So last week I was at a uh, partner retreat for my firm and one of the newest partners from San Antonio came up to me and he was, we were just talking about his innovation that, that he had created. And that led to a, a broader discussion on innovation. And he got really excited. And he was like, oh man, I need to introduce you to this guy in San Antonio named Yusuf. And doing some really cool stuff. And I was like, wait, wait. And I pulled out my phone and my calendar. And I was like, this Yusuf? And <laughs> so, yeah. And it, so it turns out, I guess you both know each other. And it actually turns out that uh, Art is uh, is a, a, an advisor for uh, JTA as well. So it's a small world. <laughs> very, very small world. And Art is one of my favorite people. And so, yeah, really, uh, you know, funny how y'all connected over the weekend and, you know, he brought my name up, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause Art and I are actually working on, he's going to launch his own podcast and then I've been yep. working with him on that. So, but, uh, I know it's a small world, but let's, let's talk more about you on this and easy expunctions, uh, you know, and some of these other cool innovations that you're doing. Can you talk to us about w- what you're working on? Sure. Yeah. I'm the CEO of easy expunctions, a company I founded, uh, with my brother, uh, we help individuals get a clear path to a clear record. And so we have an outcomes-based approach that supports pro se litigants to you know, achieve expunctions uh, when they're eligible. Um, so you know, somebody will come to our website. We provide you with a free nationwide background check for creating an account. Then for a small fee, you can see if you're eligible, you know, essentially go through a before and after uh, to determine if there's something that we can do to help you. And if there is, we provide fixed fee pricing to help individuals achieve that 100% money back guarantee. So including your filing fees to the court, if those are something that you need to pay. And uh, so really an unprecedented level of consumer protections for folks who are seeking legal services. And so started here in Texas and did a, a financing last year to you know, start scaling this into additional markets. Yeah. I have a feeling that most of the listeners will will know what you're talking about, but would you mind just explaining kind of what an, an expunction is and what the effect uh, of having your record expunged does? Sure. So expunctions are a legal remedy. Uh, they're state by state. So every state provides uh, some form of relief for individuals who've been arrested before 
and maybe resulted in non-conviction or, you know, it was a one and only conviction situation, we can help you, uh, you know, get a judge signed order uh, that provides you with two main rights. One is the right to deny that that arrest ever occurred. So if you're applying for a job or housing or something like that, you can now say that you weren't arrested. Whereas in the past, you know, maybe that was something you'd have to disclose. And then two, uh, you know, the right to prohibit others from possessing or distributing that information. And so essentially the opportunity to monopolize negative data about yourself. And uh, really the benefit is, you know, 90% of major employers today are running background checks. There's over 100 million background checks run in the United States every year. More and more jurisdictions are digitizing these records, making them available online. And so this is something that you know, from an employment standpoint, um, there's data to show that folks who go through this process are not only more hireable, um, but end up making more money uh, pretty quickly after going through a process like this. You're doing great work. Uh, I, I know your customers probably really appreciate it when they're able to kind of take that off their back. I, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I love the model and that you make it so accessible for people up front that basically, okay, you know, you get the information first to see, you know, is there an opportunity? I mean, you don't have to pay for that first, that, that you can basically make an informed decision with the information that you're providing them at no, at no charge. So that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably one of the things that we're most proud of is if we can't help you, we let you know that up front and you know, hopefully, you know, save you from spending money somewhere else that maybe you wouldn't have that same level of consumer protection. So, yeah. And it's great because I think there's a lot of people that are a little, you know, they're, they're a little skeptical about working in the, in the legal system and, you know, what the, the costs will be. And so that this is just a very clean and clear model for them. Sure. We are very excited to have you both on to talk about the work you're doing with the Justice Technology Association or JTA. Uh, would you mind giving us an overview of exactly what the mission is for JTA? Sure. Well, I mean, it may be helpful to start with a little definition uh, for context. So Justice Absolutely. Tech is a, uh, companies like um, Easy Expunctions that build tech solutions that are designed to improve or open access to legal rights, improve outcomes, and increase equity within a system that it's stacked against users that are often going it alone in the justice system. So we founded uh, JTA earlier this year as a nonprofit trade group to support these change makers um, that harness technology to help people navigate legal matters, foster hope and self-empowerment and contribute to this you know, a more fair legal system. So at JTA, our mission is to democratize the consumer legal experience through the use of technology for the public good. Uh, we know we need to support you know, both these entrepreneurs and harness this collective voice for regulatory reform, expand the debate beyond uh, lawyers and bars about technology's place in the solution, the suite of solutions to address the access to justice crisis, and really bring the public's interest to the forefront of the debate. So JTA is aimed at supporting primarily direct-to-consumer justice tech founders, amplifying awareness of the sector, building the ecosystem, and really smoothing the path for them to grow and enable positive impact at scale. And, and Yusuf, how has this impacted Easy Expunctions? Yeah, well, I think, you know, companies like Easy Expunctions would benefit from an organization like the JTA. There are, you know, obviously barriers in place historically for companies like ours, pushback from maybe attorneys or unauthorized practice of law committees. And, 
you know, we really think that there's space here for organizations to provide outcome-based, you know, solutions that may be uh, different models that didn't exist before. And so having an organization like JTA acting essentially as a counterbalance uh, to some of these forces, I think uh, benefits all of us. And so especially organizations and entrepreneurs that are interested in, you know, providing solutions in this space. If we're ever to achieve even relative justice, I really think it's going to take all hands on deck, you know, attorneys, uh, legal aid clinics, and then, you know, innovative, you know, models that can achieve outcome-based products for consumers. And so, yeah, we're, we're excited about being a part of it, but we think long-term, this is something that could benefit a lot of people besides just the organizations trying to be members. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, anyone that's spent five minutes in the legal industry understands there are huge vacuums and especially, you know, there wouldn't be an access to justice movement if there wasn't big vacuums of, of uh, needs uh, in the industry. And I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot is the fact that there are barriers that there, there are, you know, kind of structures within the the industry that prevents people that are not licensed attorneys within a state to go in and fill those needs. And it's good to see an organization that apparently is is set up to help try and identify who can be uh, the best resource for this. And I, I think whether or not, and I'm you know, and I, I I think and I'll talk about this in a little bit with your your board. I mean. You've, one of the one of the members on your board is an engineer, not a lawyer. So uh, I don't think this is a, a problem that has to be solved by lawyers. Yeah, I mean that just segues into my question: like, who are you recruiting to become members of the JTA? Yeah, I mean, I I think that there exist a lot of legitimate concerns about you know entrance into this space that are non-attorneys. But I think you know what we found though is that being an attorney should not be a prerequisite and. Mm-hmm. You know, Sonia is a wonderful example of that. Um, Courtroom 5 is a wonderful example of that. And I I think we want to support organizations like that that share our values. You know, we want to make sure that organizations that enter into this space are ones that are providing value to folks, that are protecting consumers, um, that aren't pernicious, um, ones that uh, a community can stand behind. And so I think, you know, from the very beginning, we put an emphasis on communicating our values, and then from there, trying to identify organizations that fit those values and that we can better support. I will say we put a lot of effort. I'm kind of laughing because Yusuf, like we put so much time and effort and justifiably so into our code of ethics uh, for JTA, for membership applicants, uh, because we really do need to bring together folks with shared values who are committed delivering high quality products and services and are prioritizing customer interest, mitigating consumer harm, and supporting the collective success of the sector. So with the board and and the the folks who founded uh, JTA, I note, like I said, I I noticed like Sonia Ebron uh, from Courtroom 5 is there. Uh, We have a former uh, Geek and Review guest, Aaron Levine from Hello Divorce, and Camila Lopez from People Clerk, along with you, Yusuf, make up the the board and, and the founders. Looking at it, it's one, it's very diverse, both in in makeup and profession. So what is it that kind of pulled you all together to create JTA? Yeah, I think, you know, we were already 
aware of, of each other, um, if not having, you know, worked together before. And, you know, Sonia and I went through the uh, Duke uh, Law Tech program, which I'd like to give a shout out to um, for, you know, not only connecting, you know, Sonia and I, but providing so many opportunities. It was a really wonderful experience for us. But, you know, Sonia, you know, had reached out and pitched the idea. And I think all of us were immediately receptive. We had, you know, at different times shared battle stories and best practices. And, you know, I think it just, you know, made a lot of sense to all of us that an organization like this exists and uh, started building from those conversations. Maya, you must have known that as soon as I saw that Molly Wood, one of our favorite tech podcasters, <laughs> total fangirl here, was on the advisory board, I, I would ask you how you were able to get her to help. Uh, yeah. And can you get her to go to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> She's great. I mean, you know, she she and I have had have long, you know, been having discussions about the intersection of environmental justice and the justice system. You know, she obviously left NPR Marketplace recently to build the climate tech vertical at launch, uh, just as I was starting my justice tech executive in residence role at Village Capital. So the timing aligned and, you know, we're both very geeked on supporting each other's work uh, with such a strong overlap. That's cool. So. Yeah, very. <laughs> so what value is the in, in getting away from the, the executive board now to your advisory board, which you have? a long list of, of very well-known names, not, not just Mollywood, but, but others as well. Right. One, how did you get such a diverse group of people to contribute to the organization? And what is it that you're asking of them to, to give to the organization? Yeah. I mean, well, well, for, I should start by saying like we're, we aim to identify and create bridges um, with people who are sharing our vision and values. We want to help support these efforts and um, justice tech entrepreneurs. So we built this very powerful advisory board and it unites the broad range of disciplines, as you notice, that intersect with justice tech, um, including VCs and impact investors, top reform advocates, judiciary, you know, ad academic innovators and broadcast journalists and tech leaders. They really represent the different pieces of the puzzle that Justice Tech as a vertical and as a path to substantive positive impact and kind of as a as a orientation pulls together. So they're all very eager to support um, and we will, are leveraging their expertise and networks on various fronts. How is it that you pulled the board together and do, do they work more as individuals or do they work as a group? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're just getting started. So um, the first uh, the first round was uh, really us getting together as a founding team and talking about who we thought um, would be, you know, number one, enthusiastic uh, about the mission, and number two, would want to kind of advocate for our mission and for our advocacy efforts. So, you know, we are planning an advisory board convening um, this month. And uh, we, of course, have a number of asks, um, but what they do is when and if they're able to kind of pile in and help, they do. Um, it's uh, a very much an opt-in scenario with us um, as we're all volunteer driven and, and led. So they, you know, because they represent such disparate and various pieces of the puzzle, as I mentioned, um, they'll they'll want to and be able to contribute, I think, in significant, you know, different ways. And so we're looking forward to hearing what they want to do as well. <laughs> Yeah. Back to the mission on JTA. I, I know there's some staggering statistics on just how often people 
represent themselves in a court and instead of having a legal representation uh, there. And I know you've got some stats on that. Can you give us some of those statistics and what you think are some of the core reasons for the for just the large number of pro se's out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I could overwhelm you with statistics, but um, I'll try not to. Um, I mean, you know, number one, um, the U.S. is ranked 126 out of 139 countries when it comes to affordability of access to the legal system. 75% of matters, at least one party is self, self-represented. Sometimes it's, it's, off, it's as high as 98%, you know, depending on the type of, of matter. There's 23 million per year pro se litigants in the US. So there's 5 billion people in the world that can't access the legal system. In Legal Services Corporation's report on the justice gap that was released last week, low-income Americans received no or inadequate legal help for 92% of um, civil legal problems that impacted them substantially, which jumped, um, unfortunately, from 86% in 2017. Mm. As to, you know, why? Concerns about costs are stopping people from even looking for legal help. Over half of them think they could even find a lawyer if they could afford it. So if this particular study had in, had surveyed middle-income Americans, I, I wager that the number would be you know even higher. Yeah. You know, legal aid and pro bono are doing unbelievable work, but they're under-resourced and overwhelmed. Um, and there's just, you know, a massively underserved population in our communities is just not able to access their rights. And we need different models of which we believe that technology can and should be part of that solution. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, in addition to the the cost barriers, I mean, is there also a barrier of, of actual people available to do the work? You know, just people who are who are in that space and doing that type of work? Definitely. And I mean, if, and from the attorney side, there's also a barrier to the types of uh, work that it makes economic sense for lawyers to take on. Exactly. What do you think are some answers to this problem, you know, where technology can be part of the solution? Um, Yusuf, let me, let me start with you. Yeah, I think it's not, you know, lawyers versus technology. I really think that, you know, there's a place for technology, for attorneys, for uh, legal aid clinics, um, for the courts and clerks. So I think all of us need to be looking for opportunities to incorporate technology. I think on the consumer side, there's a desire and certainly a need for products and services that are outcome-based, um, that are predictable, that are wrapped in some sort of consumer protections, you know, for folks. And I, I think that's where there's a, a large opportunity that uh, we see, um, that I know uh, Maya sees and our co-founders see, and that we're, we're, we're focused on today. And so trying to understand where those consumer needs are. And, you know, you're right. You know, even if all of the lawyers together, you know, focused on, you know, a lot of these efforts, it's not possible for us to achieve, you know, the things that we need to achieve. And so um, trying to understand where those gaps are exactly and where we can be most impactful uh, today. Maya, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think there are more problems than solutions, uh, obviously, um, by an exponential level. But I'm also starting to see kind of the with JTA kind of uh, being founded kind of in the right place at the right time uh, with no centralizing force previously in this nascent space, we're starting to see more and more that that there are kind of clusters of types of uh, solutions that are coming out. And I, I don't think it's going to be long before we see a lot of the same 
patterns replicate themselves that we saw um, in legal tech, you know, five, six years ago. You know, there's a, there's a saying out there that, you know, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And, and I think that pretty well applies to what you're doing with the Justice Technology Association. So we've talked about all the positives, but unfortunately, not everything's going to be positive here. So what are some of the obstacles that are going to be in your way as you start to grow the association and try to make an impact on access to justice, especially when you're talking about across multiple states? I can start, but Yusuf, I think you probably have more, <laughs> more insight on this. I think, I mean, as an organization, we're aiming to quickly gain critical mass to speak for the sector, the entrepreneurs and the consumers. Building awareness is still something that um, we're in early stages on, as well as, um, as you mentioned, you know, especially across uh, multiple states with respect to um, UPL rules. Um, those are, you know, being fought state by state and debated extensively, and some in some states are not being debated at all. Um, but beyond that, there's also um, systemic reform efforts uh, that overlap on the criminal justice side as well. And I think that, um, you know, I, the problems are huge, but also so are the um, opportunities. I, I really always like to mention that, in my opinion, what I see in justice tech is both an immense challenge and an opportunity, not not specifically with respect to JTA itself, but um, with the sector. And that is that the most powerful, impactful, and successful justice tech initiatives are going to be those that include at their core people with lived experience with the problem that they're trying to solve. That's not unusual. Um, I think that's something that VCs look for probably across, you know, many different types of verticals and as they're doing their diligence. But in this particular sector, we're talking about founders who have lived experience often have are the same as those who are very much overlooked and underfunded. And so uh, what we need is support for them upstream, uh, as well upstream. It'd be great if we had a venture studio. Um, we should put that together <laughs> um, because we need uh, more support uh, beyond just a trade association for these organizations. But Yusuf, yeah, I would love to know your thoughts as well. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we want to build a critical mass. You know, we want to be able to be a force to go after the issues that we see today. And I think just being able to prioritize you know, the things that we want to do, because obviously there's a lot of obstacles that companies in this space face or entrepreneurs interested in breaking into this space will face. And so certainly a lot of support across the board. You know, Maya mentioned VCs and, you know, the need for additional investment in this space. And, you know, I'd echo that as well as I think more and more investors today are starting to wake up to the tremendous market potential that's out there, yeah. you know, for, for companies in this space. And so I think just being able to prioritize um, some of the things that we need to do as a nascent organization with relatively limited resources, we want to make sure that we're focused on the things that we need to today. And I think trying to build a critical mass is uh, certainly one of them. I would just add uh, just what something you said, Yusuf, really made me uh, remember that Another big challenge is shifting the narrative, honestly, to consumer need and consumer protection beyond this debate that is, you know, kind of in 
in the higher echelons of either the legal profession or academia. Um, it, but I will say it's a big effort, but we are definitely starting to see momentum on that. Yeah. What a, what a novel concept to focus on the, uh, the, <laughs> right. the customer. <laughs> All right. So, so we mentioned developing critical mass. We mentioned investment and we mentioned shifting the narrative to uh, consumer protection and consumer need. So what can lawyers and allied professionals do to help with JTA's mission? Well, we're developing our funding model um, for levels of sponsorship. Of course, I'm going to start with that, right? So, uh, money, we're money, money. To, <laughs> uh, we're looking to connect with folks and organizations that want to be in early on this burgeoning ecosystem. Um, we're getting, you know, many inbound expressions of support and interest in collaboration. So. I have no doubt that we're going to be a force in the short term, but we welcome all those discussions. Investors and founders um, are reaching out uh, to us to for you know warm intros to funding and deal flow. The founders themselves want to connect on best practices and data, et cetera. So anyone who's interested should reach out. I mean, I'm just going to say to Yusuf too, but to either one of us um, or go to our site. And JTA companies themselves should, of course, prov- apply for membership. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to reemphasize the all hands on deck. I mean, I think justice is a cause that all of us can get behind. And I think that, you know, whether you are somebody that has a legal need today or or not, certainly at some point in your life, there was a, a, a need for some sort of legal assistance. And so understanding that there are millions of your fellow Americans who are still going through that today folks that can't afford to go through the traditional routes for assistance. And so it would benefit all of us uh, to really get behind an organization like JTA. And I think providing financial support is certainly one way uh, to do it. But also, you know, if you work at a company that you think has shared values with what we're working on, reach out to us and see if there are ways that you could partner with us or some of the companies that you know, are members of our organization. You know, if you work for uh, local, you know, state or even federal government, and you think that, you know, you have a role to play in promoting justice for consumers today, I think reaching out to us and finding ways that you can help. And so even beyond the financial aspect, you know, I think there are individual actions that we can all take that can certainly get us closer to more hands on deck and then, you know, closer and closer to justice. Sounds good. So before we let you guys go, we're going to ask you our crystal ball question. So each of you go ahead and and pull out your crystal ball and and get ready to peer into the future for us. Uh, Yusuf, I'm going to start with you. What is your crystal ball telling you about how the legal industry and access to uh, justice issues are going to look, say, in two to five years? Yeah, I think, you know, still two to five years is a, a very short timeline um, here. I think that in the near term, though, you're going to see a lot more law firms, a lot more governments, uh, whether state, federal, local, interested in adopting uh, technology into what it is that they do. And so if they have not already. And so I think you're going to see more and more entrance um, into the legal tech, justice tech space. I think whether that's you know new companies forming, uh, new investors um, coming in, and I think you're going to see more and more initiatives starting to sprout. You know where you're going to see uh, you know a community being built, not just attorneys, not just you know companies within our space, but you know folks really banding together. And um, that's the hope is that you know more and more people can understand that there's a role they can all play. Uh, you know to support the work that we're doing. 
And Maya, what is your crystal ball saying about JTA and its impact? Well, I think I have a little bit of um, assistance from my, you know, rear view crystal ball in terms of legal tech, Um, (laughs) because, you know, I I see a lot of similarities um, from what I saw with legal tech starting in 2015. You know, this justice tech is an emerging ecosystem that we're building. It aims to benefit all players. We're bringing this entrenched system where everything's aligned against innovation into the 21st century. You know, the scope is daunting, but there's a huge amount of opportunity. Of course, it's different in the sense that, you know, there's an additional complexity, um, especially for, you know, impact investing direct to consumer versus supporting the business and practice of law, you know, focusing on the legal consumer being much more client concentric. You know, what we started to see maybe a couple of years ago in legal tech is already happening in justice tech, things like platformization and these kind of clusters of solutions um, where, you know, last year everybody was all of a sudden, like mainstream everything discovered CLMs, you know, and I think that we're starting to see that even uh, it's a more, uh, a little bit more savvy of a market, as well as kind of a, a quicker understanding of the Im- of the positive impact that 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 a technology can make and disrupting, you know, such a such an entrenched space. I think there's no question um, that we have to all work together to fight for access to justice. So I don't think that there's any single solution to the crisis, you know, we need pro bono lawyers, we need more support of self-help centers and legal service organizations, and more focus on just how widespread the challenges are. And I think that, um, as you have mentioned, I really do think that it's just going to become more and more accepted that technology is um, one of kind of the tools in the arsenal that we can use to address this incredible gap that we've got. Well, Maya Markovich and Yusuf Kesem, I want to thank you both for coming in and talking about the Justice Technology Association. It sounds like you guys are well on your way to making an impact here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, legal tech and justice tech, uh, which is a a new phrase uh, for Mm -hmm. me. Uh, again, very small world. Uh, it was great to have Maya back on on the show and be introduced to to Yusuf and and the great stuff that they're doing there at the Justice Technology Association. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I really enjoyed listening to them about what you know what their mission is and and how they're trying to accomplish it. And uh, you know, I really think we're going to see more. And we're probably going to have more guests on sort of in this space, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, because this is just sort of a burgeoning area. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, I'll I'll give a shout out to our friend Cap Moon, who uh, a few weeks ago on Twitter had posted that, you know, with the industry, you know, it's perfectly fine that we regulate ourselves and set kind of the rules of the practice of law and, and access to justice. But we also have to be able to recognize when we're unwilling or unable to fill a need that we need to allow some some creativity and maybe even some outside people to come in and fill fill those needs and i hope jta uh, helps kind of shine a spotlight on that outside people process and technology yeah so thanks again to Yusuf Kasim from EasyExpunctions.com and our good friend Maya Markovich for coming on and talking to us about JTA. Yeah, thank you both. And of course, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to the Geek & Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at Gabe Bauer M on Twitter. And I can be reached at Glambert on Twitter. 
Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7270. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> We're always trying to figure out different ways to say Jerry's name. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll talk to you later, Marlene. Okay. Bye-bye.